Tis the season, brothers and sisters. I uh, want to challenge you and invite you to think about a time recently, and I, hopefully it won't be too hard to think about, but think about a time in which you've had to wait for something lately. A time when you had to wait for something. Maybe uh, it's at that drive through line. You, you're used to the three-minute drive through and then you got the eight-minute drive through experience. You know, I've had that before. Uh, maybe you're waiting on that package to arrive from some far, far off place and you still can't track it and you don't know if it's going to get here in time. Maybe you're waiting on something a little more important like a vaccine to come in before you can go out into the world. Uh, at least if we had people watching online, I could say that. You guys are already out in the world because you're in the room. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I know a lot of people are waiting on a vaccine uh, and, and the ability to be able to take it. Maybe you're waiting on this pandemic to play out. There's a lot of people who are doing that. Maybe waiting on something a little more long-term in life, like a new job opportunity or a promotion. Or maybe waiting on a child to be born. Or maybe waiting to get married. Or maybe you're waiting on someone to change. Maybe you're waiting on your spouse to change, or maybe you're waiting on your kids to change, or your parents to change, or your neighbor to change, or maybe you're waiting on yourself to change. Personally, and I probably speak for most of us in, in this, I just don't like to wait. It really kind of gets to something inside of me. It reminds me that I'm not in control it humbles me. It thwarts my plans and all, all the conditioning I've had in my life to go for efficiency. Waiting just really kind of gets to me. But you and I are probably growing up in relatively the same world. We are all conditioned to believe that waiting is a waste. Doesn't it feel like we're wasting time when we're waiting? We're conditioned to believe that in the waiting we... We must do something productive or something to, to entertain ourselves. So what do you do when you're waiting in line? Well, you do what just about everybody else in our culture does. Right here, right? See what's going on in the world. We can't stand to wait. Really, due to a world of wonderful technology inconvenience, our waiting muscles have gotten really weak. We're probably the worst waiters in the history of the world. Right here, good old US of A 2020. Hate to say it. All of our wonderful technology has brought us to this place where we get antsy if our meal comes out three minutes later than we're used to. And yet here we are in this season of Advent. And I've become more and more convinced, as, as every year goes by, I'm more and more convinced that we need Advent more than ever before. Because Advent is primarily about waiting. It's about holding off. It's about creating kind of a longing and a space inside of us and, and not filling that space with just any old self-indulgent thing, but to say, no, this is God's space and this part of my heart is reserved for God alone. And I'm not going to satisfy it with anything else. I am choosing to wait. 
When we do not wait and watch, which is what Advent is all about, we tend to miss God. We miss God in the everyday ordinary of life. I think most people in the world, God is right there under their nose and they never see Him. I hate to say it, but for a lot of us followers of Christ, we could probably confess the same thing, could we not? And part of that's because we're not looking at the world around us with the proper lenses. In the midst of the waiting is often the times where God shows up the most. God rarely shows up when we're fully indulged, fully self-satisfied, fully entertaining, fully numbed with all the options we have at our disposal. He usually shows up when we've created some space out of longing for Him. Jesus came into the world right under the nose of Herod. And Herod never knew he was there until those magi came. And then he still never found him. He came into the world right under the nose of Israel. And Israel never saw him. They didn't have the right lens. They were looking for a certain kind of Messiah. But, and because they had those lenses looking for that kind of Messiah, they missed the real Messiah who was right in front of them. Have you ever wondered if God's right in front of you and you just missed him because you're not looking with the right lenses? That it's not that God's not there, but just that we're not focusing right. There are a few people in Israel who did recognize Jesus when he came into the world. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. They knew. Of course, Mary and Joseph knew. These shepherds who worked the night shift, they knew. And then these magi who came from the east. They knew. Now, why did they all know? What did they all have in common? Well, for one, God revealed himself to them. But why? Why did God choose to reveal himself to these people? I think part of it's because they were able to see him. They were humble. They were somewhat in touch with God's will. They were willing to cooperate with whatever God told them to do. Take a journey, bear a child, husband a wife who's bearing a child. They're people who, to the best of their understanding and knowledge, love the Lord. They're probably not overwhelmed and distracted by the things of this world. They're not consumed with Everything that's going on in the world. They're reserving some space for something out of this world. In some, they've created this and allowed this empty space in their hearts. And they have chosen to leave it empty until God shows up in that space. Until God does something. That's really what longing is. A longing in the human heart. Waiting and watching is tending to that longing. It's allowing that desire to be a desire for God alone. A reserved part of us for Him alone. And choosing not to satisfy that discontent with anything but God. Advent, a time of waiting and watching. Are you waiting? Are you watching? 
Have you created that space in your life? Are you in touch with that deep longing of your human heart? If you feel that longing, if you feel a desire for something more, I encourage you to to let that desire grow. A lot of times, the longings that we have in our lives, we want to just kind of numb them or fill them up with whatever. Something to eat or drink, something to buy, something to read. But what if in the midst of that longing, we just let that sit there? What if... What if that was a part of God's plan for us to be restless for a while? Just to be discontent. The things that you're discontent about in your life, what if you just let that discontent grow a little bit? What if you felt it? What if you listened to it? What if you simply, instead of running from it or trying to drown it out, just let that discontent grow? Live with it. It's not going to kill you. And let it grow until God shows up. There's this man named Simeon. We read about him this morning. He was waiting for what's called the consolation of Israel. The consoling of Israel. Coming out of Isaiah chapter 40, when the children of Israel had been taken off to exile. It says, comfort, comfort my people says your God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain will be made low. The uneven ground will become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Simeon, this old man, waiting and praying, a man full of the Holy Spirit, And he happens to be in the temple this day, and the moment happens. Go back with me for that moment. To everybody else around, it's just another day of business at the temple. People coming and going, people making sacrifices, people dedicating their children and whatnot. And in walks this couple, Mary and Joseph, with this baby who's 40 days old. Ordinary looking child. Something inside of Simeon lights up. His heart leaps from within him and he, he goes over and I envision him, you know, you know, just like in today, it's like old grandmas, it's almost like they have a, a right to come and almost take your baby. I know they don't, but sometimes they just do. I can envision Simeon running over and looking at this child and just taking this child out of Mary's arms. And tears running down his face looking up and saying, Lord, now your servant can depart in peace, for I've seen your salvation. Imagine Mary and Joseph just standing there looking, what is going on? Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. And then Simeon blesses them. And he says to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. 
Then he gives Jesus back and goes on his merry way. Now, does that sound like a strange blessing to you? I mean, you know, if it was one of my kids, I'd want him to say, this child is going to graduate top of their class from the best school, and then they're going to go and they're going to win all the Super Bowls in the world, and they're going to be the best athlete, and they're going to be the smartest and the brightest of the best, and everybody's going to recognize them, and they're going to become the king over all the land, and they'll never have an enemy, and everyone will love them, and they will bring Israel to glory. That's not what he says, is it? He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And this child is appointed for a sign that will be opposed. Simeon's already declaring that there will be enemies to this child. Opposition. And then he looks at Mary and says, A sword will even pierce her own soul. That's a strange blessing, isn't it? Where in the world is that coming from? This blessing kind of feels like a double-edged sword. What's a double-edged sword? A double-edged sword is something that, that kind of you strike it one way, it's like a blessing. It's a good thing. But along with the good thing comes with something that feels like it could be a bad thing. Feels like it could be a curse. A double-edged sword. I think what Simeon is saying here is that this child, Jesus, is a double-edged sword. You know, people out in our world today are looking for single-edged swords. Swords that only cut one way. Swords that don't require us to wait. Swords that, of sentimentalism that, that make us just simply feel better about ourselves. Swords of self-help. Swords of consumerism. Swords of inebriation and self-indulgence. Whatever it is that we are imbibing ourselves with. Jesus is not a single-edged sword. He's a double-edged sword. What does a two-edged sword do? Well, it cuts both ways. That means that the sword that saves you is also the sword that must also expose you, reveal you. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give accounts. The Word of God, who ultimately is Jesus, is exposing the thoughts and intentions of the human heart. All the things that we do that may even look good on the outside, and yet beneath that, there's stuff in there that's selfish and sinful and doesn't have God in the center. It has us in the center. This 40-day-old baby will someday expose and reveal the sins of Israel. Its kings and its leaders and its people. This 40-day-old baby will someday pierce your own soul. 
kind of child is this? This 40-day-old baby will someday be willing to give his life on a cross. He will be exposed. He will be revealed as he reveals his people. And that 40-day-old baby will someday be raised from the dead, will ascend into heaven, will be given authority over all of heaven and earth. And you and I will someday stand before him and give an account for our lives. And when we stand before Jesus, and I don't know if there'll be a long line, I don't know how that's going to work, but once we're up there, we're not going to have the convenience of distracting ourselves with one of these or anything else. We will not have such luxuries. So if you are watching and waiting this Advent season, if you do not want to miss the coming of the Lord, then simply be willing and be ready to be exposed a little bit. This propensity that we've had ever since Genesis chapter 3 to cover up our stuff, to make ourselves look better than we really are, Jesus sees right through that. He cuts right through it. That's why we come and we gather around this table. We break the bread and we confess our sins. And we say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because we stand in need of grace. And we do so with the foreknowledge that this Jesus who has come into the world to expose sins also has come to forgive sins. To deal with sin. To purge the earth of sin and its effects, and all forms of injustice. And when we ask Him to take those sins away from us, right here in the midst of the waiting, then we confess our broken state. When our hearts are prepared to do that, then we just might not miss Him this year. So while we wait just a few more days, I challenge you and encourage you to spend these next few days before Christmas just asking God to search your heart, asking God to reveal to you what it is that He wants you to confess, ask for His forgiveness, and ask Him to give you that kind of space that is capable of receiving His joy over against the things of this world. May we be like Simeon in that temple that when Christ comes around, we would not miss him.